Well, the reading this morning is um, from Isaiah. It's Isaiah 64, verses 1 to 9. Oh, that you would rend the heavens and come down, that the mountains would tremble before you, as when fire sets twigs ablaze and causes water to boil. Come down to make your name known to your enemies and cause the nations to quake before you. For when you did awesome things that we did not expect, you came down and the mountains trembled before you. Since ancient times no one has heard, no ear has perceived, no eye has seen any God besides you who acts on behalf of those who wait for him. You come to the help of those who gladly do right, who remember your ways. But when we continued to sin against them, you were angry. How then can we be saved? All of us have become like one who is unclean, and all our righteous acts are like filthy rags. We all shrivel up like a leaf, and like the wind, our sins sweep us away. No one calls on your name or strives to lay hold of you, for you have hidden your face from us and made us waste away because of our sins. Yet, O Lord, you are our Father. We are the clay, you are the potter. We are all the work of your hands. Do not be angry beyond measure, O Lord. Do not remember our sins forever. O look upon us, we pray. For we are all your people. Last week um, we heard the words of Malachi, another of, of the prophets of old, and, and Rob spoke on that on those words, um, calling people to uh, to get right before God. And this is Isaiah this morning. Long ago in the midst of time, God called a man to walk with him, to go where he led him, live as he showed him, and know his great blessing. And that man went on to become uh, the father of tribes. The tribes became a nation, and that was the nation of Israel. These were people that God called, like Abraham initially, to be his own and to walk in his ways as an example to the whole world, an example of, of what the people blessed by God look like. And Micah, in his, his prophecy, explains, this is what God wants of the people that walk in his ways. He says, he's shown us what is good, what is the very best for us. It's to do justly, get our lives absolutely above board, to love mercy, to show the deepest compassion and care for others, and to walk humbly with our God, to be in an obedient, loving relationship with our Father in heaven. Well, what's Isaiah saying here? He's saying, God, do something drastic. Tear the heavens apart, come down, make everyone who opposes you and denies you and ignores you, realise who you are. You're such an amazing God. There's none like you. You work on the behalf of those who wait for you. You meet 
with those who gladly and joyfully seek after righteousness, who keep you before them in all their ways. But we, we individually and collectively have gone so badly wrong in your sight. And how can we be saved? He says, we're like withering leaves and our sinfulness, like the wind, whirls us away. Left to their own devices, no one is calling on your name. No one is going after you, he says, and it's like your face is hidden from us and we've been left to the consequences of our own bad choices. And yet, yet, Lord, you're our Father. We're the work of your hands. We're like clay in the hands of a potter. Lord, don't give up on us. Don't let our sins be the end of us. But you have to read on. You have to read on into the next chapter, into chapter 65, because God speaks, he answers, he says, and it's the cry of his father heart. I was ready. I was ready to be there for people who weren't yet asking for me, to be found by those who weren't yet searching for me. I was saying, here I am, here I am, to people not yet calling for me. I was reaching out loving arms to people whose backs were firmly turned on me and going their own way, regardless. And God is crying out to the people, turn back, turn back to me, repent. As um, we've been reminded this morning in the lighting of the candles and in what Steph is saying, we've begun on the season of Advent. And in Advent, we remember again, don't we, the voice of John the Baptist um, calling out, crying out in the wilderness. People, get your lives straight and ready for the Lord who's coming. Repent, be baptised, get your lives clean. It's the very same message that Isaiah is bringing to the very same nation of people all those hundreds of years before. And it's the same message that we're hearing now, those hundreds of years later. And it's that things are wrong. Things get wrong in our lives. God gets either relegated to a minor role or, or ignored completely. And we get into things that hurt us and hurt others. And we follow our own agenda. Well, the title for today is the great repentance and that sounds like a very heavy and somber sort of th theme but it isn't it's the most wonderful word because it's the way out the way out of dark and hopeless places and the dead ends of our lives the things that don't ultimately bring us joy and it's the way back it's the way back to the God who so dearly loves us and wants for us, what does he want for us? Life in all its fullness. So what is repentance? It's essentially turning. It's turning from and turning to. Turning right round. And it's not just about saying sorry, though penitence and remorse are part of it. And Paul actually said, godly sorrow works out in repentance, a repentance not to be turned back from. You remember Peter's bitter tears when he realised what he'd done um, to Jesus and the repentance that he had to go through. 
But it's not just saying sorry or being sorry, it's about doing something, doing something about it. So first it's seeing, realising where we are, that we've gone badly wrong, either in the whole of our lives or in specific areas of our lives. And, you know, Isaiah doesn't pull his punches about um, how he sees what, how people have messed their lives up in his day and gone hopelessly wrong. And a lot was to do with pursuing and worshipping um, what other nations went after, the gods that they wanted to, um, to favour them with the things that they thought were going to make them happy, things like prosperity and the good life. Um, without any annoying restrictions um, or curtailing of their personal freedoms to do what they liked. They weren't interested in walking a straight and narrow way. They wanted the broad and easy path where every, anything goes as long as it makes you happy. But it leads away from God and it leads into that far country where the prodigal son went, do you remember? He went off into the far country and he went all out for that. For some, it's a bit more insidious. Um, things in our lives that we know are not of God, but we pursue them anyway. So we're called to repent, to return to our God. God calls in Isaiah and all those other ancient prophets, don't turn your back on the living God whose heart is for your good and your blessing to go after something that's going to collapse like a house of cards and bring you ruin and exile. Return to me, come. And however deep died the things that are wrong in your life, your sinfulness may be, we'll get it cleaned up put right and made white as snow. John the Baptist said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is right here and you need to get ready for the coming Lord. And the way he described it was a little bit like structural engineering. It was getting crooked things straight, rough places evened out, chasms filled and obstacles cleared away. Then, he says, you'll be in a place to see how God's glory will shine out for you. It's like clearing the decks for action. And it's going to mean different things for different people. But it starts when we see how we really are, even the best of us, as Isaiah said, and as St Paul said, that we really can't measure up to what God made us to be. We've all sinned and come short of the glory of God. And when we see that, and when the Holy Spirit begins a work of conviction in us, then, to coin a phrase, we become woke. And that's where repentance can begin, when we see where we are. Then repentance can begin, the point of turning. And we may have made that initial move towards God in our hearts. We have, may have turned in our, in our hearts towards God, had that change of heart. But there may still be areas in our lives where we kind of need to reset the compass again to true north, where we've gone a, 
awry. It may be something that we're doing or failing to do that we get convicted of. It might be a relationship or a habit or an indulgence or a yielding to temper, something we're not acknowledging perhaps, like a grudge or bitterness that that we're holding somewhere. Apologise if I've used this story before, but um, when I was moving from High Wycombe to Bath, and I got everything arranged uh, just on the point of exchanging contracts and that had been delayed um, because the person that was buying from me was doing law exams out of the country and asked could we delay it and then on the very day they said they couldn't make the asking price by £10,000 and I either had to I took advice but the advice was either you let the sale go or you bite the bullet So I did bite the bullet, but I was chewing on it for a long time afterwards. (laughs) Bits in my teeth. And, you know, I tried to lay that down, that real resentment. Um, But it kept surfacing again. And and I've had to repent of that, because I know that's not a right attitude in my heart. And it's doing me harm. And, And in that, even in a slight way, it's turning me away from from God. Just in that, in that area, I'm, I haven't laid it before God. I haven't given it to him. So I've had to do that again and again. Um, the prodigal son in Jesus' parable, having exhausted all the um, money he demanded from his, his dad, he found himself hungry, dirty, penniless, and in the unthinkable position for a Jew of not only feeding the pigs and looking after them, but competing with them for the pig's will. Um, And I see him sitting on an upturned bucket in the mud, thinking. He's in this awful state. But back home, his father's servants live in luxury compared with with what, what he's got. And he says in his heart, I will return. I won't claim my sonship, I'll just ask to be a servant. And then, of course, he goes back. We know the story. He goes back to a rapturous welcome. He's reinstated as a son. Um, He's given all the clothes, the feast, everything. Um, But the repentance began in his heart before he ever moved off that bucket. And then he acted on it, and he went back. He walked back home. He acted on it. Zacchaeus... Um, he was somebody who was detested by the people of, of Jesus' day because he was working for the loathed Romans and um, lining his pockets while he was doing it as a tax collector. So when Jesus came to his town, um, Jericho, Zacchaeus wanted to see this famous um, healer, but being um, vertically challenged, he found that the easiest way to do that was to shin up a tree and view Jesus from above. And his, to his astonishment, we know the story, Jesus stopped right underneath the tree and he called him by name and told him that he wanted to go to his house and share um, a meal with him. When they got there, we don't know what the conversation was. We don't know what Jesus said to him, but we do know the outcome. We know that there was repentance followed by a complete about turn of Zacchaeus' life. He couldn't wait to put things right. He said, um, I'll pay back everything I've defrauded people of 
and over and above that. I'll, I'll, I'll give half my goods to the poor. He just couldn't wait to get those crooked things straight in his life. And when the people heard John the Baptist um, preaching on repentance and and calling to to them to repent, they said, well, what must we do? And he said to the people, well, if you've got two coats, give one to somebody who hasn't got one. Share your goods with the poor. You tax collectors, conduct your business honestly. Soldiers, don't take bribes, don't bully people, don't... Be discontented with your pay. Deal honestly. Deal fairly. Don't take backhanders. And Herod, you're in a wrong relationship. You shouldn't be in that. You know what that led to. That led to his uh, arrest and uh, his eventual death. But he was telling the people what they needed actually to do in their lives. Yes, repent and then do something about it. On the day of Pentecost, there was a huge mass repentance after Peter's sermon. Um, As he preached to the crowds, Acts says they were cut to the heart. And they said, what should we do? What should we do? Tell us what we need to do. And he said, repent, be baptised for the forgiveness of your sins, and you shall receive the promised Holy Spirit. And those who believed began at once to work out that their repentance in a life of sharing everything that they had and in daily worship. So who needs repentance? We all do. With that maybe initial repentance that many of us have already made of turning round and turning to God. But also, on a daily basis we need to repent. So what prompts it? Well, sometimes circumstances, like the prodigal's life, or life events. Sometimes it's our failures and consciousness of of how badly we've we've failed. It's our realisation of how far short we've fallen from what God wants us to be, from what we ourselves want to be and long to be. It's sort of like a heart hunger for God and to be right with him. But these are all part of God's kindness in leading us to repentance. That's what Paul says in Romans. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance and he will use things in our lives to draw us back to him. It might begin with heaviness of heart and conviction of our own sinfulness, but it leads like the song said, to lightness of spirit. That's why I wanted us to sing that this morning. A joy that knows no limit, a lightness in my spirit, because here, in the grace of God, I stand. In Jesus' story of the Pharisee and the publican, you remember they were both in the temple praying, and um, the Pharisee was praying with sort of smug self-righteousness, and the publican, he didn't even dare to lift his face up to God. He stood with bowed head and he simply asked, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. His heart was repenting. But he was the one who skipped home with a weight lifted off him, Jesus said. He was the one who was justified. 
that dying thief on the cross, um, he could only painfully gasp out to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. But I know he died with peace in his heart. He didn't have time to put anything right in his life because he was you know, in, in, in the process of dying at that point. But he had peace, he had forgiveness, he had acceptance from the Lord Jesus. When our backs are turned to the light, we walk in our own shadow. But when we turn round, we see that the Father's arms are held out to us in welcome, forgiveness and love. And we're welcomed back because someone else, in love for us, took all the blame for every last, dark, mean, unholy thing in our lives. Not to sweep them under the carpet, but to do away with them forever. You know, it's, it's the love of the prodigal's father which is at the centre of that story. That generous, forgiving, all-embracing love, despite the bad behaviour of both his boys, because both those boys needed to repent. The one from what he'd done, going off into the far country and the rioters living and all of that. But the other, because he couldn't care less about his brother, really. And he was angry that when he came back, he got the welcome and the acceptance and the forgiveness. So he needed to repent of hardness of heart. But the Father waits, and he always will, longing for us to run, sometimes to stumble painfully into his arms and to know that we've come home. I've got a, a little book here, which some of you may know, have read at one time in your lives, but I wanted to read this passage because it just illustrates what repentance does and where it happens. Christian ran thus until he came to a place somewhat ascending, and upon that place stood a cross, and a little below in the bottom a tomb. So I saw in my dream that just as Christian came up with the cross, his burden loosed from off his shoulders and fell from off his back and began to tumble and so continued to do until it came to the mouth of the tomb where it fell in and I saw it no more. Then was Christian glad and lightsome and he said with a merry heart, he has given me rest by his sorrow and life by his death. Then he stood a while to look and wonder for it was very surprising to him that the sight of the cross should thus ease him of his burden. He looked therefore and saw again until the springs that were in his head sent the waters down his cheeks. Now as he stood looking and weeping, behold, three shining ones came to him and saluted him with, Peace be to thee. So the first said to him, Your sins be forgiven you. The second stripped him of his rags, and clothed him with a change of garments. The third set a mark on his forehead and gave him a roll with a seal upon it, which he bade him look on as he ran, that he should give it in at the heavenly gate. So they went their way. Then Christian gave three leaps for joy and went on singing. 
And that to me sums up what repentance is about. It's about letting go. Letting go of burdens. Even though we don't realise sometimes that they are burdening us. It's about that lightness in our spirit. It's about turning and coming home to the Father. I've been speaking mostly about um, repentance as a kind of individual thing. But what about corporate repentance? What might happen if our international leaders got on their knees, confessed their mishandling and misuse of the world's resources, and asked God's help to put it right? Or if we across our nation confessed and repented of the social and economic ills of our nation and asked for God's grace and forgiveness for our lack of action and our indifference and our failures in compassion. If we as churches repented of our divisions, our focus on our own concerns and our failures to speak out in God's name and for the weak and the vulnerable. Just want to end really with a, with a, a, another um, verse that, from the Old Testament. If my people will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven. I will forgive their sins. I will heal their land. Let's just pray a moment. Father God, I'm asking that you'll give us the grace to see perhaps where we individually and corporately need to repent. You'll speak to our hearts, Lord, and help us to turn back to you in whatever ways we may have turned away. And to know the throwing off the, of those burdens and the lightness of spirit that you've promised us, Lord, and the forgiveness and the healing that we, both as individuals and as a body, need. Because we ask it in and through the Lord Jesus, whose cross has done it all for us. Amen.